0: Welcome to Hyperallergic, the podcast. We're taking to the airwaves to bring you more playful, serious, and radical perspectives on art and culture in the world today. I'm Harag Vartanian, editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. In this first episode, we're going to take you to Morocco to visit one of the world's foremost biennials. What can art add to the heated debate about the refugee crisis? Well, that's one of the many issues the current Marrakesh Biennial is exploring. Politics is something biennials have been trying to tackle forever. But here's a surprise for you. This year's Marrakesh Biennial really gets it right. It was my first time in Marrakesh, and I was really eager to discover the historic Moroccan city, known for its lush palaces and bustling markets. What I found is a place that has become a playground for wealthy Europeans, but is still able to preserve its long artistic history. This is the sixth edition of the Marrakesh Biennial, and is dispersed across the city's historic sites. It's titled, Not New Now, and this is the first time the biennial is free. Artworks are installed in places like a shop in the old Medina, and here. That's the call to prayer of the beautiful 13th century central mosque, the Kutabia. It's named for the booksellers that used to crowd the square. Underneath the public space, in the vaults next to the mosque, is one of the highlights of the biennial. Superflex is a Copenhagen-based artist group that created a short film titled Quasa Quasa. It follows a group of boat builders on the island of Anjouan that sits between Mozambique and Madagascar on the east coast of Africa. These men transport migrants to the former French colony of Mayotte, Which voted to rejoin France during the 2009 referendum. Superflex tells the story of local coyotes who transport those desperate to land on European soil and gain legal status. Over 10,000 and maybe as many as 50,000 people have died making the dangerous 43 mile journey to one of Europe's most remote outposts. In this work, like in many of the pieces in the biennial, there's a shift in perspective, and we learn about new aspects of issues we may think we know all about. This seems to dovetail with curator Reem Fada's vision.
1: I think there is definitely a demarcation of difference between thinking about contemporary art that comes from the West and then thinking about contemporary art that comes from the rest of the world or the global South. And for me, that demarcating line is an art that is not purely about form, but it is about the people and society, and it is about a cause.
0: I asked her specifically about the politics of decolonization and how one curates with that in mind. Basically, artists are people who uniquely have
1: taken their voice as a means to claim their authenticity and the voice of others and gave it back to these others. I would say that that is the best way to think that you are curating decolonization. However, it's very important to be conscious of what the message is and how we're doing that.
0: She cites Syrian architect Khaled Malas's windmill project as an example of this. He's an art historian by training.
1: He's someone who's been working with a community of collaborators, a welder in Syria, photographer in Syria, and uh, a group of architects and fellow artists in Beirut.
0: At the biennial, the artist has exhibited a monolith covered with some images of the history of electrical production in Syria. Fada says his project highlights that power structures, including those that produce electricity, are key to understanding how governments maintain control.
1: They've decided to create windmills out of scrap metal in order to generate electricity in the Ruta area in Syria that is suffering from the recent war in Syria. And you can think about that as a, that's a development project. It isn't. It's them asking a very concrete question, which is how do we give back power, literally being electricity, back to the people? And then at the same time, it's very interesting because for this project, they've de- developed uh, an entire book And I think that is also a source of inspiration because they've looked at certain moments, historical moments in the history of the nation building of Syria from centuries ago and how electricity was used as a tool for the making of a nation or the enforcing of a power of what should be the nation. And they make it a point to say that this project of theirs is a reference in that history to give back that power and that electricity materially, and if you want, poetically, and symbolically back to the people. That, for me, is an act of decolonization.
0: One of the main venues of the Biennial is El Badi Palace, which the curator described to me as a ruin of a ruin. It was built by a Moroccan sultan after he won battles against the Portuguese and Spanish empires. She told me he spent 18 years building it, but he died before it was finished. The history of the site intrigued one artist in particular, Haig Avazian, who's Lebanese. He created Rome is Not in Rome for one of the empty pools in the impressive courtyard space.
2: The Badia itself is essentially a non-place, a non-monument, right? It's the absence of the castle. It's the surroundings of the castle. So in terms of disappearance and the disappearance of archaeology or artifacts, it was also interesting. And then thinking about water as a motif in the project. So when I saw these four pools which were linked to the gardens and the central pool with this kind of very intricate infrastructure of water uh, underneath, right? like all the pipage that links all of this network. I thought there were lots of um, motifs that were already present for me to build on the imagery that I was already kind of thinking about in terms of like global network and uh, thinking of water as a kind of metaphor for mobility as well. Eyvazian's
0: work riffs off the language of architecture, Specifically, a luxury condo by Jean Nouvel that's being built in downtown Beirut. He told me the construction of the site started in 2004, but immediately stopped as soon as they started digging.
2: They came across Roman ruins, substantial Roman ruins, which is everywhere in Beirut, essentially, and is a very controversial issue. And so the site is still there. The hoarding of the site is still there. So it's still closed off pending kind of administration. And the iconography on the hoarding uh, was also fascinating to me. Um, It was basically this continuous white line that goes all around the site. So it goes white line, you know, various landmarks. So white line, Burj Khalifa, white line, the Colosseum, Kuala Lumpur, Petronas Towers, etc., etc. And I like this image of that. If you're walking around the kind of the construction site, by the time you make your way around, you would have basically uh, walked around the globe. His sculptural
0: installation for the Marrakech Biennial is full of historical references. There's a sculpture of a hand created from a drawing by 19th century artist Eugène Delacroix, who accompanied a French diplomatic mission to Morocco in 1832.
2: So the relationship of art to military violence or diplomacy and so forth, I was interested in as well. And yeah, this idea that essentially one of the kind of most uh, well-known strands of modernism comes from the Moroccan son, Delacroix, having developed his theory of color and color separation, which would then, you know, Paul Signac would then write a book um, on the Post-Impressionists, tracing their lineage all the way to Delacroix and his theories on color. So a complication of like the kind of modernist myth also and where that comes from, and uh, modernism as this kind of Western versus Eastern and so forth to try and complicate that reading of history.
0: If El Badi Palace impresses you with scale, the more elegant El Bahia Palace nearby wows you with lavishness that looks plucked out of some Orientalist fantasy. There are symmetrical courtyards at every turn. The ceilings are carved and painted. Rose petals are carefully placed in fountains, and there are tiles everywhere. It's an overwhelming venue. Off to one side of this sumptuous space is a work by South African artist Dineo Seche Bopape, titled the name of which escapes me now in its whole, as well as in numerous specific places. Yeah, that's the whole title. Bopape has filled a large tiled room, a small white courtyard and a side yard with her constructions that were made using raw materials, reused containers and other everyday objects. The whole piece is inspired by an apartheid era protest song titled Azania.
3: The song goes, in some versions, starts off by saying, Bazi Pi, Isi Africa, Uyenze, Where do they get the guts to uh, to take Africa and make it theirs? From Cape to Cairo, Morocco to Madagascar, Iazania, um, Israeli to our, our land. Um, but then, uh, because I'm not a native uh, Zulu speaker, I uh, immediately put Iswe, which is voice, and Izwe together, and um, and that relationship of... Um,
0: and Iswe means earth?
3: Yeah, yeah, Izwe is earth, soil, land. And with the land politics uh, in South Africa being what they are, that uh, 20 years plus after the end of apartheid, that the land question has not been fully addressed yet, and uh, more and more people are, are getting impatient with that
0: you can feel the intimacy in her use of materials. She even convinced the authorities to allow her to glue stickers of African plants on the walls of one historic room. The artist told me that when she was growing up in South Africa, she was forced to use the only stickers available, which, of course, always depicted European flowers.
3: It was first a, a challenge uh, thinking of linking Cape to Cairo, Madagascar, and South Africa, and imagining uh, um, being of all those places, and what it would be like to to imagine a unified Africa. Yeah, and the soil. There's something really special when you just when you walk barefoot or when you grab soil in your hand. There's a story of Robert Subukwe, um who was a a PAC uh, struggle fighter. He was uh, arrested and uh, imprisoned in uh, Robin Island. And uh, when the new prisoners came, they weren't sure whether it was him or not, um, and whether um, the their party state had killed him, killed his mind, killed his spirit. Mm. And he just uh, bent down, grabbed some earth, and then uh, um, let the soil trickle from his hand. And they knew that uh, he was still in his mind, and he was still. Um, fighting the cause, and he was still present.
0: Bopape infuses the materials with meaning, called from her own experience. But she also taps into a larger, unofficial theme of the biennial, the creation of something out of nothing.
3: I was then uh, also thinking about the poem by Sanra, and the poem is called The Endless Realm, and Inuti speaks about nothing. Uh, Inuti says something like, I have I have nothing, I'm rich with nothing, I have mountains of nothing, endless nothing, uh, this and that are nothing and together they're mine. Um, also speaking about the politics of, uh, of blackness in, um, in the US and also in the world, uh, how black is also articulated as a void uh, politically and also in, uh, in the English language and also in other Western languages. What does it mean to be nothing and to be filled with nothing, to be perceived as nothing, to be rich with nothing, uh, to have the nothing of the sky or the nothing of uh, the earth, to have, to be like dust, uh, as rich and as poor as dust.
0: Yeah. When describing the biennial, curator Reem Fada often uses the term living art. Art is alive, she says, and in a place like Morocco, it might be easier to see because dozens of centuries old artisan traditions continue. And many of the artists have incorporated them into their biennial works.
1: I think it's about time that we gauge societies but by how and why they retain the idea of living or the living. So I've looked at the terminology of living art as a substitution or as a driving force to think about this exhibition. Living art being that which is harnessing the present day looking at the living, meaning people and society, thinking about social and political causes, yet at the same time retaining beauty because it is art, and it is about harnessing poetics and gestures of the aesthetic.
0: She says the lack of contemporary museums in Marrakesh actually proved to be a good thing. There's no white walls,
1: and that for me was an entirely, I want to say, liberating thing, an aspect. This is an art for the city, so we were presenting art in what was in palais that were actually living quarters for people. So how appropriate it became to show that art for the people in these public spaces. Another very important thread that runs through the exhibition is my primary concern about thinking about solidarity and thinking about responsibility of shared consciousness and shared cultural factors that kind of permeate the globe even intuitively and decolonization is an important theme. I'm Palestinian and that's something I can't ever register off, it's, it's who I am and I, I think at large that the plight of Palestinians is something that the world has still not fully contended with and is actually it's a condition that the entire world suffers from, the act of retaining the voice taking back that voice and reproducing work and art and messages that claim let's say sovereignty over one's voice and one's actions.
0: That was Reem Fada, curator of the 6th Marrakesh Biennial, which goes until May 8th. For pictures and more, go to hyperallergic.com. Thanks for listening to our inaugural Hyperallergic podcast. I'm Rog Vartanian, Editor-in-Chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. Our editor and executive producer is Gisele Rigatao. Our theme music was composed by Garen Geikian. Our assistant producer is Angela Cruz. And our publisher and co-founder is Viken Geikian. See you next time.